As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. We are back with another episode of Four to Six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Bill Land is here with Ari Wasserman. Two weeks out from start of spring practice, it's kind of crazy. I don't know. I feel like I feel like last season flew by, and now like the little interim we usually get between the end of the year and spring ball like didn't exist. Yeah, I mean, there's two seasons in Columbus, Ohio. There's football season and spring football season. But and, you're right, and like DC it's like, defender season. Yeah, DC defender season. That play that he made, Cardell Jones, the one where he fell over and then got back up, it's pretty cool. Um, but like, it's like, yeah, it's the end of February already, almost, and. Once spring football blows by like it always does, then you're you know two and a half months away from kickoff again, and then we're back in the vortex. So We will preview spring football a little later in this uh, episode. We'll talk about the offense next week. We'll talk about the defense, and then uh, practice starts the first week of March. Spring game is April 11th. It'll be a noon kickoff. Uh, we'll also talk a little later on about uh, Michigan State hiring Mel Tucker from Colorado, Luke Fickle not taking that job. 
what we thought of those decisions and and what it means for Ohio State. But there was a bit of news last week as it pertains to Ohio State that we did not have a podcast on. We didn't do one last week. Um, basically, like travel schedules kind of didn't allow us to do one. And this news happened, uh, you know, relatively quickly. And I don't I don't think we wanted to talk maybe out of turn so soon after it happened. So we waited a little bit on it. We'll discuss it now. That is, uh, obviously, you're probably well aware of it. Amir Reap and Jocelyn Wint have been dismissed from the football team by Ryan Day. Each of those players were involved in an incident on February 4th. They were charged uh, each uh, one count of felony rape, one count of felony kidnapping. They were arrested. They were arraigned last week in Franklin County Court. Uh, they were released on bail. They had a preliminary hearing that was scheduled for this week. It was waived. That's sort of normal procedure um, from what I've been told. And uh, as we sit here recording this on Tuesday afternoon, uh, their case is with a grand jury, and that grand jury will decide whether or not to indict. Both Amir Reap and Jocelyn went on these charges. I was talking with um, Amir Reap's attorney after the arraignment last week, and you know he, he seemed like that that's where it would go. They would get indicted, and then it'll go to trial. That'll be down the road. Uh, we'll cover that. As, as it plays out, they're not on the team anymore. I, I wouldn't expect them back on the team, no matter how that shakes out. And and Ohio State, I think, is is moving forward. This Ari it is obviously shocking. It's it's disturbing. The accusations here. Um, both these guys are also. I, I think it, it should be mentioned are obviously innocent until they're proven otherwise. Um, but here's where we are. Here we are with Ohio State and and these two guys off the team for. Uh, alleged pretty pretty heinous acts here. Uh, uh, what do you think of all this as it pertains to Ohio State? Maybe how Ryan Day handled it. You know, I think uh, first off, I I know that you know when you're talking about stuff with this with this much gravity to it, it's, it's just kind of hard to put it in perspective because we're football people, and I don't think that I'm in a position or you're in a position to really being bring perspective to just the severity of the accusations and the things that are occurring because that's way above the realm of college football. I just think it's a sad reminder that, you know, the sport that we love uh, covering and you guys love watching often comes with these types of things. And, you know, it's just something that happens in the real world. And it's just a reminder that college football is a part of that real world. So um, as far as the context that it means for Ohio state, I think Ryan day did the only thing that he, he could do. And I think you would agree with that bill. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of like what that means for Ohio state, whatever, I, I think that this is far more serious than football and it's just a, a sad thing to see happen. Yeah. It's more serious than football and, you know, and not to be flippant with, with, the severity of it like from a football standpoint i don't think it matters all that much to ohio state two guys were, who were on the team who like one of them might have been a starter one of them might not have been um the other guy i'm not really sure how he fit in so like there's not i think sort of uh, all that impactful football um stuff going on here it's a it's above that it's it's something more serious and, and we'll see how it plays out uh we'll we'll cover it as as it plays out in court um I don't know in terms of like timeline and stuff like that, how it all goes down. And, and maybe these guys are off the team and, and a lot of Ohio state fans don't particularly care anymore, but I think it'll be important to cover moving forward until it reaches its resolution. But as it pertains to Ohio state, they're off the team. I would not anticipate seeing them back no matter how it, how it plays out. And, and Ohio state um, kind of moves forward and they move forward in, in the spring practice, which we said starts in a couple of weeks here. Um, We'll have coverage of spring ball, too. We're doing both those things. Um, I'm covering basketball as well. There's a lot of stuff going on as it pertains to Ohio State kind of across the board. Drafts coming up, combine, pro days, March 25th. Uh, there's a lot going on. So if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, uh, we would uh, advise you that now would be a good time to do that. Theathletic.com slash 4-6 still gets you 40% off. You can get all of our coverage. 
of Ohio State football, basketball, the draft, all that stuff uh, as, as we move forward there. But Ari, we, we talked about this on the last podcast we did, which was, I guess, two weeks ago now, when it looked like Luke Fickle might have had the opportunity, and it turns out he did have the opportunity, and, and he said no to, to get the head coaching job at Michigan State. And he turned them down kind of in a very public way, and uh, Cincinnati had some fun with it kind of along the way after the fact, after a board of trustees member had some criticism for Luke Fickle and the way he handled it. How surprised were you that, one, uh, Luke Fickle did not take the Michigan State job, and then what did you think of, I guess, the consolation for Michigan State was getting a guy in Mel Tucker from Colorado who in a lot of ways seems very similar to Luke Fickle? Yeah, um, I was very surprised. If you want to know my stance on whether or not Luke Fickle should have taken this job or not, you can go back to the previous podcast if you didn't listen to it. And, Bill, I guess I'm a man – uh, who can acknowledge I was wrong, and I'm, I'm like you were right. I, I guess. Well, it wasn't I didn't say no, no. But like, I didn't say you, he was he was not going to take it. I, I thought just, you were nuts for thinking that he I just wouldn't. Said he so would, like I, I was pretty, him. I was pretty adamant that I thought you were crazy. Um, so it I'll turns give you out more you opportunity to to think that. Don't yeah. Worry. Um, I'm pretty surprised by it, man. I, and it was the same for the same reasons we discussed last week um, or two weeks ago. Now when it just came to. You know, moving forward, progressing in your career, and taking a Big Ten job at a place that would allow him to accentuate his talent, which is recruiting Ohio and um, identifying and recruiting underappreciated talent that isn't going to go to Ohio State. That's what Michigan State was built off of, and that's what he does best. And I understand that there's some things off the field that are occurring there, um, maybe some NCAA violations. You know, I'm not an expert on what's going on at Michigan State, but some off the field stuff that could make it harder to take. I also know that playing in the same division as Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan is not ideal. But I thought that Michigan State found its ideal candidate. Luke Fickle could have fit in there very well for a long period of time, um, and it would have made sense for him career wise. Um, so I was very surprised, and I thought for sure he was going to take that job. Um, the second part of your question was, what is their consolation prize? Like when Luke Fickle, when Cincinnati's uh, Twitter account was having some fun with it, I was like, God, Michigan State is in trouble. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who are you going to get? And I thought Mel Tucker was a really, really good save. You know, I think yeah. that he gives Michigan State something to be excited about. He is from Cleveland, Ohio, has coached in the SEC, has a lot of experience bouncing all over the country. And you know, with relationships, I think from a recruiting standpoint, he will do what Luke Fickle was supposedly going to do for them by recruiting Ohio. He has the roots here. Um, and I also think that being in Colorado and doing some stuff with the Pac-12 and the SEC uh, probably has some inroads in some other places. Maybe Michigan State can go a little bit more nationally and get some three-star prospects out of other states too. So um, to me, I think it's exciting. There was some trauma with uh, his departure from Colorado as well. Um, but I do think that it was a really good save. Yeah, I think it's 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 a good spot for Michigan State to be in. Luke Fickle, like you said, <clears throat> I think would have been the ideal hire, but but this is in a lot of ways I think very similar. Um, Luke Fickle's got a little more experience as a head coach. Mel Tucker was was a head coach for the first time last year at uh, Colorado. I believe they went five and seven last year. Uh, he was an interim head coach, I think, in the NFL for a minute too, but I don't really count that. Um, College-wise, he was a head coach for one year, and I think people viewed Colorado as a program with a lot of promise. It, it seemed like a weird fit to me when he went there. Not that I didn't think he would do well. It's just you think about geography a lot when you think about where coaches should go. And I suppose he's been all over the place, but he really hasn't been out west at all in his career. He's been in the NFL, and he's been sort of in the Midwest, and then he was in the SEC for a little bit. Um, and maybe in that he learned that he can kind of coach anywhere. 
I, I was curious about what Colorado was going to become under Mel Tucker, but only because I know Mel Tucker's a really good recruiter. And obviously now he'll be a really good recruiter at Michigan State. And I think in a lot of ways he'll he'll do what Mark D'Antonio was doing back when, when D'Antonio had Michigan State like at its at its peak. We're talking, you know, four or five years ago here. I think he can recruit in that kind of kind of way, maybe even a little better. And not to be like I don't think to be a threat to Ohio State, but maybe to be a threat to a school like Kentucky. Or to a school like Cincinnati, both programs uh, who are doing really well recruiting the state of Ohio, sort of those secondary guys that Ohio State passes on. I think Mel Tucker is going to be all over those guys. But he'll also, I think, be a little more forward-thinking offensively than Mark D'Antonio was, which was not the biggest thing that was holding Michigan State back because their recruiting had dropped off so much. But, I mean, it's not, I think it's number two on that list was they were just not innovative or forward-thinking or creative like in the least bit on offense the last few years, and I think they need some of that. <clears throat> Mel Tucker's a defensive guy. It won't be him who's doing it, but I think I'll hire the right people. I think it's good for the Big Ten. I think I think you and I might differ a little bit on what we think Michigan State can become because I don't think it can ultimately get back to where it was when it was peaking a couple years ago just because I think the league is harder and I think Ohio State is operating even at a different level now than it was back then, like the beginning of River Meyer's tenure. But I think Michigan State can be good and and you know, a top twenty five program for sure, top maybe even top twenty program for sure. And and I think Mel Tucker Luke Fickle I think definitely could have gotten on there and I think Mel Tucker's is good enough to do Why it. Why don't too. you think that they can do it again? Do you think it's because they can't the beat playoff? Ohio State? Because they can't beat Ohio State, yeah. Yeah. So I guess if the if the answer is they're never going to be able to beat Ohio State again, that's fine. But I think that Michigan is worse off now than they were at that time, mm-hmm. and I don't think that Penn State. You think is Michigan's any, worse now than it was at the time that they made the playoffs, beginning of the 2010s and up to 2015. Maybe not 2010, but like I'm talking about, like in the 2015. Um, when they made was, was Jim Harbaugh Harbaugh's the head first, coach the year that they made the playoffs? It was Jim Harbaugh's first, first year as head coach, and I think he's won 10 games every year since then. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't find them to be a particular juggernaut that Michigan State can't beat. So maybe saying they were worse off than year one is probably I just tough. think Michigan State was clearly better than Michigan back then, and now they're not. I think that became, yeah. becomes more of a toss-up year to year than it was. That's fair. Um, and Penn State kind of is what it was. I mean, they're really good. And Penn and State's a little better, too. They're recruiting better. I guess winning all three of those games is going to be impossible <laughs> if that's the point you're trying it's to make. The only, like who's built, who's like, built to win the games against all the top teams in the East? Like the, only, the answer to that question is Ohio State. Right. Which is obvious, but I just don't know. But I also think that was the case five years ago. Um, If you made, like, if you put the Connor Cook Michigan State team and dropped them into last year's season, they probably would have lost to them. Like, Ohio State would have beaten them. But I think that if they can build that team again, that they could be in a situation where they're playing a November game against Ohio State with a playoff on the line, and that is their ceiling. Whether or not they win that game, I mean, I think the playoff in general is um, a tough thing. And the fact that Michigan State made the playoff that one year was incredible. (laughs) Um, And Ohio State, in my opinion, should have made it that year, even though they lost to them head to head. But, um, if Michigan State was built well enough to beat that 2015 team, there's no team ahead of Ohio State in the future that was is going to be as good as that. Yeah, I, mean, I know it was a dysfunctional anything, team. Anything can happen in like a one game. In one game, if they're in a situation where they're playing Ohio State in a one game heads up playoff spot on the line opportunity, I think that that's within the realm of possibility. Um, but I understand your idea of if it's harder to beat Michigan and it's harder to beat Penn State than it was five years ago, then winning all three of those games, it's impossible to think it's going to happen. But I do think that Michigan State has a chance where every three or four years, if built the right way, can be a really good football team. Yeah. Um, and that's all that D'Antonio did. So, um, 
Yeah, maybe uh, saying Michigan is worse off than they were uh, in 15 is a little bit harsh, but I don't think they're that much better off. It's not like they're. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're not. They're, they, it's not like they weren't a juggernaut then, and they are now. Like that's not. They're not a juggernaut at all. Yeah. yeah, and I think Ohio State is probably having an easier time beating them the last few years than they did the first three. So this, the margin of victory would would support your claim. Yeah, the idea sure. of where this program is and what they're paying Harbaugh for is a different discussion, but they're not there. Um, and Penn State, I think, is a really good football team, um, but I thought they had really good football teams in 15, 16, 17, too, that couldn't get over the hump. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it's one of the toughest divisions in college football to play in. I'm not disagreeing with, with that. But if Mel Tucker can concern himself with building Michigan State the way that those Michigan State teams were built, I think crazier things have happened. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Michigan and Penn State, I think, Penn State obviously recruits well. Michigan recruits okay. I don't know how well either of those programs develop players and or slash deploy that kind of talent when they do get it. I think Ohio State's the ultimate in the Big Ten at, at getting talented players, developing them, and then getting them to play at the highest level possible when it matters the most. D'Antonio did that for like four or five years at Michigan State, and like I don't know if Mel Tucker can do that, but I also don't know that he can't, and maybe maybe he can, and if he can do that, I think it is, there is an opening for Michigan State to become the second best, or maybe third best as a ceiling, third best program in the Big Ten East, because it's not that now. It's like, at the last couple of years, I, th- I would put it on par with like Indiana, maybe the last two or three years, and obviously that's not where they want to be, and their ceiling's higher than that. Um, I would be if if anyone were like scared of this. I think if anyone should be scared of this, it, I think it's Michigan, um, because Michigan State was sort of a pain in the ass to Michigan, even when it wasn't humming the last couple of years. And I don't know, like Michigan doesn't recruit so well that that it can just assume that it's going to be the the better half of that rivalry moving forward. And Mel Tucker is going to get a lot of these Ohio kids that you write about a lot, Ari, that that make rivalries like that kind of kind of hum. And I don't know, what do you? recruiting standpoint in terms of the big 10 and like the, the schools that recruit the state of Ohio, what does Mel Tucker's arrival in the big 10 mean for all that? Well, I was in Lexington last week, as you know, and you guys might know, um, I'm writing a story about how well Kentucky has recruited Ohio and the impact and the fallout that that's had on, on Northern teams. And Kentucky's recruiting coordinator is a man named Vince Merrow, who's from the Youngstown area. And part of the reason why Kentucky has been able to recruit Ohio so well in those D'Antonio type kids the last five six years is because of Marrow, and Marrow was dangerously close um, to taking that Michigan State job. And then if that were the case, then I would think that Michigan I would have more confidence in Michigan State moving forward than I would in Michigan, which is like a crazy thing to say. But I don't think it's that as crazy. long as Michigan isn't recruiting Ohio, I have no confidence in their ability to be a program that is is on top. So uh, Michigan State failed in their attempt to get Marrow. He stayed at Kentucky. Kentucky's going to continue to recruit Ohio. Michigan State is still going to come into the state because there's no other way to be the Michigan State head coach without emphasizing the state. So as far as what it means for recruiting, I think it's still going to be a middle-tier battle between Kentucky, Pitt, Michigan, and Michigan State to get some of these three and and maybe fringe four-star prospects Ohio State doesn't have room for and develop them into studs. Um, That is huge. That is huge. Um, and the reason why Michigan State was so good at it was because they identified guys and they turned out to be stars. So when you talk about a guy who's from Cleveland, who has uh, Midwest roots, who has a pretty dynamic personality from what I can understand, he's the type of – like I, I would say that not knowing much about Mel Tucker before this but knowing of him, that like on paper it's just like the fickle hire. I would say that the fickle hire – 
might have been better because I more intimately understand Fickle's ability to analyze and recruit those underappreciated players, but I think it's the same thing, and it's going to have a really interesting um, impact on the way this Big Ten goes. Now, whether or not teams like Indiana, Minnesota, Purdue can come in and do that, I think that like Ohio should be the charging ground for the entire conference, and it's just not right now. Um, and getting another coach that can understand that is just going to make one of those Big Ten East teams even better, and I think it's going to separate the Big Ten East even more from the West. That is an interesting part of it that I, I I hadn't considered, and I think maybe some people are just assuming is the case. Like Luke Fickle, it's not just we're going to recruit Ohio now. It's like, how's your eye? Luke Fickle was really good, has always been really good about not only recruiting Ohio, but like finding the right guys in Ohio. And I think right. that Antonio had a good run of that for a bit, and maybe not as much lately. It's not. It's not just like Mel Tucker is going to be recruiting his ass off in Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati now. It's that like it's can he actually go find the three star kid who is not properly rated, who's actually more of a four star guy who's going to develop into a first round draft pick. And it's like funny because Cincinnati is also in that mix. Like Cincinnati yeah. was part of the reason why I think Michigan State's job was tougher. And as long as Luke Fickle is there, that's another per- another program that's in that mix. And you have all these teams that are are using Ohio State as a feeding ground. You have the state Pitt. of Ohio. What did I say? You said Ohio State. Yeah, the state of Ohio um, as a feeding ground. You've got Pitt from the east. You have Cincinnati from the south. You have Kentucky from the south. And you have Michigan State from the west. And North. North, sorry. Northwest. North. Northwest is right. Yeah. I, I'm not good at geography. But – um. I'm just trying to figure out like why there aren't more people putting their hands in the state. And I don't know, maybe there's like a quest. Like I came up with this idea and you can tell me if I'm nuts, but I think the PAC 12 sucks because California is being raided by um, other big time teams in the South and in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. And California is just isn't big enough of a state to, to support the entire PAC 12 the way it used to now that, all these teams in like Ohio state and Alabama and Texas are taking talent out of there. And I'm just wondering like what Ohio state's threshold is and what is it going to take for big 10 teams to knock teams like Cincinnati back off out of the power five because Michigan state getting this higher keeps them in check there, but Michigan ignoring them, Minnesota, Wisconsin, these teams aren't getting anybody out of Ohio. Penn state doesn't recruit. Penn state doesn't recruit Ohio. Like why are there teams from other conferences? Three out of the five teams who recruit Ohio, the hardest aren't even in the big 10. And that's the problem. Like I get that some of the new Big Ten teams are for, like Nebraska, like it's like not geographically friendly. Like I understand that, but Cincinnati can't be the third best team or the fourth best team recruiting Ohio, even though it's in the state. It just can't be. It's not even a Power Five team. And like, what's a better offer, like Pitt or Cincinnati? What's a better offer? Michigan State is better offered to me than Pitt and Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Michigan but is like Indiana. <clears throat> I don't know. If you're a high school kid, I think if I were a high school kid, I'd rather get offered by. The thing you'd the rather thing about, play high, college football in Cincinnati than Indiana. Like the thing is, yeah, is like because Cincinnati's Indiana a better program, gets, Indiana but Indiana plays in a better conference. Indiana plays in a better conference, and I, maybe on some level there's more exposure in that. But like you're also going to lose a lot. And if you go to Cincinnati right now, is it that Cincinnati is currently constructed under Luke Fickle? You're going to win ten games every year, probably win your league. And be in the discussion to get that group of five spot in the New York Six Bowls. And like, who knows what's going to happen with playoff expansion. And I wonder if this factored into Luke Fickle's decision to stay yeah, at all. Yeah, if there's playoff expansion, and I think you said this or somebody said it, but Cincinnati might have a better chance of winning a national championship than Michigan State. Yeah, but well, they're going to have fewer losses at most years, I would think. And you have to go undefeated as a, as a um, 
group of five team to get in the playoff probably, but that's a discussion. now. Yeah, but no, not I mean, if they even expanded. in the if they expand it in the group, then your group, group of five, five has one, one representative. Yeah, um, I mean it'll either be Boise State or somebody out of the American UCF or something like that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I just never thought that Cincinnati was never a destination job, and that was part of the discussion we were having last, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know. If the playoff expands, can it be? If the playoff expands, I think it, it can be, yeah, more of one. And we don't like it's not, I think the deal runs for another like six years, right? Or maybe it's four years. So I don't think playoff expansion is imminent. Like you'd have to hang around at Cincinnati a long time to take advantage of something like that. And I, I don't think that was a driving force behind Luke Fickle staying. I honestly don't. I don't. What do you think it was? I don't know because I, I think it was part of the stuff that I was talking about the last time we had a podcast about like the just like not everything being in order at Michigan State. There being a little bit of disarray there and, and I think structure is important to a guy like Luke Fickle because it's not like he he would have been able to recruit his ass off if we went there. We know that he can coach. Um, I think for the most part he can run his program the way he wants to run his program at a place like Michigan State. It's just a matter of like is everything in place to support that. And maybe it wasn't because he was getting offered a lot of money too. He was like, I think Mel Tucker got like five and a half million. I have to imagine that Luke Fickle's offer was at least that good. Um, so I don't really, I don't know. I, I even, it's kind of a weird thing, and this makes me sound hypocritical. For as much as I was saying the last time we talked about, like, if I were him, I wouldn't take it, I'm still surprised he didn't take it. Yeah, I was just going to say, Bill, you're the one who should have the most insight on why, what you think the driving force is. Well, but, Luke and I talked about it. I said, listen, yeah. Luke, listen to the last episode of Four to Six with AMP. Make me Make me look good. Yeah. And then tell me what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like with how how um, passionately I I thought he should take the Michigan State job makes me incapable of understanding what the main driving force would be. Because I don't yeah, think maybe that, he didn't want to like coach I, 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 like I said this to Vince Marrow um, when I was in his office at Kentucky last week, and I said, "Do you think you can win a national championship here?" And I think I kind of offended him. Yeah, because like the idea of sitting in somebody's office and telling them that they can't win a national. And I don't mean like we got into a confrontation over it, but I think he was kind of taken back by it. It's like, I guess every single coach at every program has winning a national championship on their list. But it's like, that can't be even in the top 10 of what Luke Fickle's thinking. It can't even be in the top 10 of what they're thinking at Kentucky. Like where they haven't played in the SEC championship game once and we're thinking national title. <laughs> it's like, I understand that like maybe in five years when you've gotten to the next apex of like what you're going for then you can add new goals but like if he's thinking national championship he's 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 insane what was his answer because yeah we can win a national championship and i was like all right man and i'm not maybe they could they were one year away they were one win away two years ago from playing in the sec championship for the first time they won 10 games they had lynn bowden they had a really good team but they still lost to georgia by multiple touchdowns and it's like no matter how good Kentucky is and how well they're recruiting Ohio State, I think there's still a ceiling for how good your team can be. Mm-hmm. The same way there was a ceiling for those Michigan State teams back in the 2015s. Yeah. They beat Ohio State like on like a Hail Mary of a game that if they played 100 times, they might only win twice. But they weren't going to beat Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson on the way to the net. There's a yeah. ceiling. I mean, they got there and then got Getting there. <laughs> but like to me, that's the most successful season in Michigan State history unless they won a Getting national there? championship for in sure. 1970. I don't know like what their history is, but... At Kentucky, winning 10 games is the championship. Um, at Cincinnati, getting to a uh, New Year's Day game, bowl game, is the championship. So in terms of like what it was, it's like maybe he didn't want to play against Ohio State every year, um, which I also think would be wrong. Like, why wouldn't you? 
Maybe it's just because you want to continue, like based on what you said last week. Of he didn't handle it particularly well the first time he did it, and I get it was his first time, and he was coming in with lesser talent. He did not handle the everything that came with playing Ohio State last year when he was head coach of Cincinnati. He did not handle well at all. And so he's going to turn down a promotion and millions of dollars because he's afraid to play his team he used to coach at. Uh, and if so, then what are you even doing here? Like, no, no. I mean, not. I'm I don't, maybe not on principle, but perhaps he felt like. With some other mitigating circumstances, he wasn't ready to take that on just yet. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and it's all it's all speculation, but I just, to me, it's like, what are you waiting for now? So, like, now what's next? Dallas Cowboys. No, really, what's next now? For him, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how long Harbaugh's going to be at Michigan, and I think if Michigan had an opening, they'd come to Luke Fickle. I don't know if he'd take that either. That would be harder to take than Michigan State if you're an Ohio State guy, I would think. As much as he hates Michigan and has like, is there appeal to being the next Bo Schembechler? I mean, I guess on some level, but this would be like this is extreme. Like, I like I know Bo is here and he coached under Woody, but yeah. like Luke Fickle, I think like might have like tattoos of his gold pants on his body somewhere that we don't yeah. know about. Like, I think he like he lives off beating Michigan. I, I, but but, yeah, I don't, no, but there's I also but there's also only a handful of jobs that I think would make sense. Notre Dame in terms of steps up, yeah, like Notre Dame. But can you you and you can jump from Cincinnati to Notre Dame? It happened in the last time and they got a hook coach. But I guess if the idea is continue to rock, hey, rock shit <laughs> at Cincinnati, win ten games every year, no pressure really, right? Because you're not going to get fired. They love you. Um, you're going to be good. You're going to be pretty good. You have good teams. And then continue on being this next up-and-coming guy. And then when the job you really, really want comes open, then you take it. So then you like, so you're waiting for Notre Dame. Or you're waiting for Michigan. Maybe Mel Tucker makes the team a little bit better. They they He suffers through the NCAA worry, whatever, three years from now. He takes another job, and then you can take it again. Like, maybe there's no rush. Yeah, well, because the thing with Luke Fickle is like he's shown that kind of patience already. Because he could have, I think he could have been a head coach somewhere else other than Cincinnati long before he took that job. I know his interim season at Ohio State didn't go well, but I think he reestablished himself to the point where maybe he could have been like the head coach at Pitt or something like that a couple years before he took the Cincinnati job. But he waited, and then he ended up like in the perfect spot. And on a lot of levels, Michigan State seemed very obvious for him in terms of the next step. But if he didn't view it as perfect at the perfect time then I don't think it would have been the first time he's made that decision. Does he have a tattoo of Ohio State on his calf? Luke? Yeah, he has a tattoo on his calf, and I'm trying to remember if it's a if it's a block O or not. Yeah, maybe. I think he might, yeah. I think that's right. I don't know. There's a tattoo on his calf. I just don't remember exactly what He has a tattoo that Urban never got. Um, I don't know if Michigan can hire somebody with a block O tat on their, on their calf, if he has that. But yeah, patience is good, and I think patience is a, vir- is a virtue. Patience is a virtue. Taking the wrong job, ask Chris Ash how that turned out. You know, like it's just. I mean, he's got twenty million dollars in his pocket. I know, so. but if money was the motivation, then he turned down the money. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> the money was there, Bill. I'm sure he was going to have a sick. Like, if he wanted to negotiate a sick buyout for Michigan State, you don't think they would have put that on the table? They wanted him really bad. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think yeah. yeah. Luke Fickle would have guaranteed if, if, quite a bit of money, no matter how that would have shaken. Yeah, out. I don't think money is his concern. If he wanted to sell out for the money, he's going to be able to. He's going to. He's going to be financially set for life. But now if Chris Ash, where is he now? Is he the defensive coordinator he's, of Texas? He's the soon-to-be-fired defensive coordinator of Texas. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're kind of saucy today, Dollaby. I just don't know why all the, like, side note, I don't know why all those guys hitch their wagon to Tom Herman when, like, when Tom Herman goes 7-5 and five again this year, he's going to get fired and they're all going to be out of the job. You think it's his last year? 
if I think this is his last year, if, uh, it might be win the Big Twelve or bust. Yeah, I mean, I think you could have fired him after last year. Yeah, when he flipped off the cameras on signing day. Yeah, maybe that, <laughs> that was maybe, hilarious. Maybe that was a sign. Homeboy's not built for this. I don't know. We'll see. He yeah, can't. I, never weathers, never I don't know, like too. what you think about this, but like as I like try to like think about interesting national recruiting stories, I do think that the idea of like going to Austin and being like, "Why can't you keep kids home?" is like, like shaking him, like as as like a person who actually like had a relationship with him when he was at Ohio State. Like, I wonder like what he would think. Like, is Garrett Wilson the downfall of Tom Herman at Texas? I know this is an Ohio State podcast, but. I That's think the whole thing, right? I think he'd find the most uh, passive-aggressive, demeaning way to tell you you're an idiot because, you know, he was in Mensa and then uh, try to talk his way out but of it. But I don't it. feel like he was like that with us when he was here. No. Maybe he's changed now that he's I, the head coach and he's been know, gone for I'm not around years. him every day. I just yeah. watch him sometimes and I think, like, uh, I don't know if I like that guy. Yeah. It would be interesting, though. You should go do that. I would love to. Yeah. Spread your wings. <laughs> Go down to Texas. Lake Travis is a good place to stay, too. Love that it's beautiful place. beautiful down there. Yeah. Went and saw uh, once in future Ohio State quarterback Matthew Baldwin down in Lake Travis. Uh, if I have my bachelor party, um, you know, on Lake Travis. We'll When's do, that going to be? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see about that. But. I'm having a bachelor party in Philadelphia. Are you? Am I invited? I don't know if I'm... I don't know if I'm actually having one or not. But if I have one, Why that's wouldn't where, you have if I'm one? Actually, if I'm actually having one, that's where it'll Why be. Why wouldn't you have one? Uh, I don't like the idea of putting people out when I'm already putting them out some to come to Columbus to watch me get married in the first place. But 80% of the people coming to Columbus are from Philly, right? Uh, probably like 60. Where is the like furthest somebody would have to travel to go to Philly if you had your bachelor party in Philly? Oh, uh, I, everyone who I'd want there other than you, I suppose, is in Philadelphia. So you're not putting anybody out? No, that's why I'm saying if I have it, it'll be there. Am I invited? If it happens, sure, but I'm not. Like, I'm <laughs> Let's not, go. I'm not scheduling it myself. That's up to uh, my brothers. Who I'm sure you're going to have one, Bill. Everybody has one. To this. But if I have my girlfriend's having one in Toronto, that'll be fun. Toronto's a fun city. Yeah. Am I invited? I can't imagine you are, um, but you can ask. If I have my bachelor party at Lake Travis and I have a huge float, will you go on the float with me? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all I wanted to hear. Um, I saw this thing on the internet last week. Do you know what Laughlin, Nevada, is? No. Laughlin, Nevada is like this small, like casino town in the, on the drive up between Arizona and, and Nevada. Oh, yeah, 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 I've heard of it. And that. it's like just it's like the home of like the one dollar blackjack and uh-huh. the one dollar like shrimp cocktail. Yeah. It's like trashy casinos with Where people the casino who games or pick a hand and, and it, you can smoke anywhere and yeah, pick, pick a, a number. Yeah. Anyway, they it's on a river, and they have this like river. Um, I, I'm trying to remember what the word is. Bork, Regatta? Regatta, yeah. <laughs> it's like Borgata. Yeah, is the casino. But Regatta. I don't know what the word Regatta means, but it's all these people who like Boat come out thing. of the come out of this Harris casino and like dive headfirst onto like um floaties and just go down the river in like 120 degree weather in July, and that's like on my bucket list. I do that. Like trashy casino in the middle of Nevada, ten dollar blackjack, five dollar prime rib, and like drinking on a raft in the middle of the desert going down a down a river. Sounds like the best day ever. And that's what I might make my bachelor party if I have it. All right. Is everybody Lof- listening? Uh, Laughlin, Nevada. We should have a listener um, like raffle or something and yeah. bring like five or six with us to Laughlin, Nevada. And everybody can gamble party. big there because the limits are like $3. Yeah. 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 And like hotel rooms that are 46 bucks a night. 
plus a twelve dollar resort fee. <laughs> okay, spring football. That was a good tangent. I felt good yeah. getting that off yeah. my chest. I'm glad you I'm glad you did that. Uh spring football starts in two weeks. Let's talk about the offensive side of the ball. What has you most interested about Ohio State's offense heading into spring? Because I wonder, I wonder if the things that are the, it has to be. It's the most obvious thing. Top of your list of things you're most interested in as it pertains to the offense for the spring. The most obvious thing, Paris Johnson. Is that what you're talking about? No, no, no. I think the most backup obvious, quarterback. Yeah, backup quarterback. I think it has okay. to be backup quarterback, right? Backup quarterback is going to be the most interesting thing for the future of the program. The left tackle um, battle or the battle to be a starting tackle and whether or not there's no battle left tackle, but the battle to see if Paris Johnson can win that job with Nick Petit, I think is very interesting just for the the makeup of the offensive line and how it's going to pertain to this year. Um, But yeah, those are the two things. And I'd like to see if they have a running back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things. Well, you, you talk, we had uh, interviews with the early enrollees. I guess two weeks ago now. I got there late because I was coming back from a basketball game. But you were talking a lot with Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud, I think, for some stories or story you're going to write here in the future. But talking with both those guys, like what was the vibe you got from both of them and how they're approaching this first spring? Because they are like they're not going to be the starter. One of them is not going to be the starter until 2021. But the, I think the competition to be that guy obviously starts now and has started already. And one of these guys, I think, will be the number two should they need a real number two in this coming season. So, like, do they think that? Are they operating that way? Or do they give you some BS about how, like, we're just here to work and put our head down and see? I mean, what they're operating like and what they're saying are obviously two different things. Um, I guess they watched the Super Bowl together, which is a nice little thing to keep Ohio State fans warm inside in terms of how these quarterbacks are getting along. But, you know, yeah, I I think that both of them are going to play quite a bit in 2020. Um, I just don't think that we're ever going to know who's winning the battle, even if somebody is. I think the only way that we'll ever know who's winning the battle is if, if Justin Fields gets injured. Yeah, you in should game. not want to know who the number two quarterback yeah, is next year. So, um, but yeah, I agree with you, and I agree on the timeline that it's this spring, uh, this fall, and then next spring will be the a year from now will be the three week period of when we decide, uh, not decide when we learn who's going to transfer. <laughs> I mean, bluntly speaking, like that's what it is. So, what what do you think? There's no other scenario to me. I mean, they're yeah, they're both not going to finish their careers here. I think that's obvious. I think they both know. Do you that. think they're both going to be on the team in 2021? Yeah, I've said that before. I think they will both. Uh, so, you think one's going to willingly be a backup in 2021 to the other one? Uh huh. Well, okay. I guess I'll I should say bet. that. <laughs> It'd be hard because there's talk right now from the Big Ten and ACC are pushing one-time transfer rules, that, like exception without having to just plead your case against NCAA. So like if that happens and the transfer market is totally reshaped, then no. I think one of them would leave because they could just leave and go play somewhere else. Um, but if one of if them... If you have to sit out, I think sitting out is even more reason to leave early. You want to get that done as soon as possible. I think if the if you get the one and done for free rule change that they that's been out in the news would make you would be a reason to stay for another year because then you could just leave and then play your last two or three. I think it's yeah, the but opposite could you of in theory could you in theory be graduated by the time fall twenty twenty two rolls around and be eligible to start immediately? It's like two and a half years. Yeah, I guess so. 
I think they're taking twenty five credits every semester and yeah, summer and winter and take some of those high school credits. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the. I guess, but I'm just saying, like to me, if you if you're in a situation where you have to sit out, I think doing it the sooner the better, always. And if you don't have to sit out, whether it's through grad transfer or through a new rule amendment that allows you to play no matter what, after and forgives one transfer, then I also think that you have some forgiveness to do that, even if you're not on track to graduate. Mm-hmm. I don't see why I don't see the benefit at all of staying around and watching the other person play for one year. Like what? Like what's your reason you'll play, for that? You'll play if you feel like you're actually getting developed in a real way that will make you an NFL quarterback. I'm not. I'm not guaranteeing it, but I think that could play into your situation too. Because there there aren't a lot of places that are developing NFL quarterbacks at a high level, and at the moment, Ohio State seems to be one of those places. So, if you have that as your ultimate goal in mind, I could see how you would want to stay here for maybe another year, even if you are the backup. Because if you're the backup, you're still going to play some. And who knows what might happen to the starter. It's not like you're going to be sitting on the bench every single game and never get to go out there and throw passes. Um, and I just think it's earlier in your career. So I, I, I will probably be wrong, but my anticipation is that both these guys will be on the roster come fall 2021. And then after that, we'll see what happens. I'll bet anything you want right now. I will bet you... And, and then all, you can even put a clause in for your your transfer rule changing if you want. Yeah, okay, that that negates it. Um, all expense paid trip to Laughlin, Nevada. You'd go with me? Yeah, we'll go together. You and I will go together. I and, can't lose that. Bet. And the loser of the bet pays for the whole trip. I don't know if you're messing with me right now, but I'm getting tingly inside. <laughs> no, we'll put we'll mark it down. We'll shake on it right here. This is a handshake. That's a handshake in audio form. What's good to Laughlin, Nevada is that it's cheap as shit. So, like, <laughs> is that why? I'll spend the it's 60 not Vegas. Bucks. I'll get the room no, for I'm 60. Talking, I'm talking airfare. I'm talking everything. Okay. The $5 prime rib, all of it. So, we'll know, we'll know by a year from now. Basically. Yeah. Well, almost a year. Probably like the end of that spring ball. So, yeah. By, yeah, the end so of, like by the end of spring practice weeks. 2021. Yeah. Okay. And we'll go. The, we'll do the trip. Uh, well, I guess we'll have to wait. We'll do the trip during the bye week of the 2021 season. You know, blow off both little, reporters gone. Blow off, <laughs> blow off a little steam during the bye week <laughs> in Laughlin, Nevada. Something terrible happens. Yeah. Ryan Day takes the Patriots job. We're <laughs> in a pool <laughs> out on a float We're and floating down the river at the riverboat. Uh, yeah, that's hilarious. Okay, and I'll even make it sweeter for you. If you win, we can fly into Vegas, or I mean into Phoenix and drive up, because you can't fly into, I don't think, and I'll have my mom make you some challah French toast before we go. Right. All right. Man. I'm looking forward to the French toast and, and riverboat. Uh, I just can't, like, honest, but back, like, honestly to the discussion, I just can't see how it, I, I just, it doesn't compute to me how that could happen. It would be weird. I'm not saying it would be weird. I'm not saying that the chances of it are extremely low. It's just kind of like my, I don't know, it's my vibe, and I don't really have any concrete reason to give you other than the things I already laid out. Yep. And they're all kind of flimsy, admittedly. So, I don't know. We'll see. Stay tuned a year from now to see which one of us wins that bet. Uh, how interested are you in Justin Fields this spring? I don't know, like returning quarterback, I mean, always sort of falls to the back burner a little bit, but he's also the Heisman Trophy favorite and quite possible, and he'll be in a competition to be like the first quarterback taken in the draft after the next I'm season. not excited because he's not going to get hit. He's probably going to play very sparingly in the spring game. He sucks as a talker. No <laughs> offense to him. He doesn't like talking to the media, and he doesn't provide much insight. And every quote that's going to be given by the quarterback coach 
uh, Corey Dennis and Ryan Day about it is going to be um, cliche ridden bullshit. So like, it'll be exciting to like watch him and see if there's anything that you can gauge. But I'm not like you, where I'm like a X's and O's guru who can stand on the sideline and go, "Holy crap! Look at that guy's footwork. He's night and day yeah. better because he stepped into the throw and the follow through was one quarter of an inch further than it was." <laughs> Like I am how much can you actually some, see <laughs> like from see some of that stuff? But like how much can you actually learn? I know there's some times where we're allowed to watch team drills. We haven't gotten the spring perspectives yet, so we don't know how much practice we're gonna actually get to watch. Mm-hmm. But I don't find it entertaining at all to watch him throw to receivers for fifteen minutes before they start practicing. It's not yeah, it's not super entertaining. I agree with that. I think there are some things you can look at with Justin Fields that maybe you can get a little feel for in the spring in terms of improvements and some of it's mechanical. Most of it's like how he sees the field and the kind of throws he's willing to make as he progresses in his career. Um, quick tangent, because you mentioned uh, the quarterback coach, Corey Dennis. He talked to us on that same day yep. when we talked to all the early enrollees. And I got an email about this, which just makes me think that maybe there are some other people thinking along the same way. Maybe they're not. Um, he looked a little nervous when he was up there at the podium. And then I know you talked to him off the side a little I bit. I tripped him up. It was my question. Yeah, made yeah, him black out. yeah, yeah. You like made him freeze up there at the podium. And like, I guess it wasn't the best look ever for a guy who's in his first press conference. I didn't think anything of it. But if there's anyone out there who's concerned about that, um, you talk to him like off to the side afterward. Like, is there anything you can tell people about what happened when he was up at the podium? Is that like a thing that people are talking about? I got one email about it, so maybe it's not a thing at all. But I thought it was noticeable in the moment that he looked a little nervous. Yeah, he looked nervous, but he also said that like he lost his train of thought, and like that happens to me once every twenty minutes. So like I get it. Like it happened to me uh, on a radio show like five days ago. (laughs) Um, So like I don't know. (laughs) Is there any insight about whether or not he's going to be a successful quarterback coach because he lost his train of thought for thirty seconds when he was up at a podium for the first time? Get a hobby, man. (laughs) Here's here's, here's what I'll say. Uh, And this is to make a way out of balance comparison that is in no way merited, but I just think it's a funny comparison to make. Urban Meyer changed his train of thought every four seconds when he was standing at a podium. That guy never finished a sentence. Yeah, because he had so many amazing (laughs) thoughts, he couldn't figure out what order to put them in. Uh, His uh, son-in-law forgot what world he was in for a minute. Yeah. But, but I think yeah, no, I don't think there's anything think, that transitions from how you perform in front of media microphones to how you can do your job. Although but I do think that it's... Will lead you to believe that it does matter. Yeah, maybe it does. I don't know. Um, he didn't win the press conference. If it, if it, continues, <laughs> if it continues on every time he's in yeah. front of the mic <laughs> and he freaks out every time, he was far more comfortable and normal when he was off to the side talking to the media. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's like... I also think, too... And Doug asked the question, but I think that he was probably waiting for somebody to ask him, like, why do you have this job? Because Urban's your un- your uh, father-in-law. And I think that he was probably anticipating that and didn't want to talk about that. And as questions mounted up that weren't that, I think he was probably frozen because that was what he was thinking about. Yeah, I think he probably was more concerned about getting through the press conference, not having to talk about Urban Meyer, than he was about, like, freezing up. Because I didn't ask him anything that was, like... Hard to answer. I so, can't remember what you asked. Yeah, I can't even yeah. either. So, but yeah, I I think that you know it is what it is. Offensive line in the spring. I, my anticipation is that Thayer Munford, if he's not totally out, will be limited a lot and probably won't play in the spring game because I just think he needs to get healthy. Based off all the stuff he was playing through last year with his back, um, so there is an opening, like you alluded to, for Paris Johnson to play more. 
I don't think that left tackle job is up for grabs. It's not. As long as Thayer Mumford's healthy, it's his job, and then he'll get drafted, and I think he'll draft it yeah, high. But him being out. But open. him being out creates opportunity because there's not a ton of depth to tackle, so there's opportunity for Nick petit Frere, who I think needs to win a starting job starting now. Paris Johnson, who wants to win a starting job as a true freshman and was like talking about Orlando Pace two weeks ago when we talked to the early enrollees. And then Dewan Jones, who's a big, uh, happy, cuddly teddy bear that everybody seems to love and also might actually be a pretty good football player. Um, who has the biggest opportunity? If like Thayer Munford's out, who has the biggest opportunity here? Paris Johnson. Yeah. Paris Johnson has the biggest opportunity to get reps when freshmen don't always get as many reps, reps as you don't typically you get. don't typically get. And if he's as good as we think he is, then those reps will shine through and will lead to more reps. And I think you'll find yourself in a real position battle with Nick Petit. I think Ohio State wants Nick Petit to win. I don't know if they're in a situation where they're rooting for him, uh, for Paris Johnson to win this job as a true freshman. But the idea that two of these guys who are both the top tackle in in the country in their respective classes battling against each other is going to make for quite the, the drama. And I think Thayer Munford, like you said, the job is his. I don't just let him get healthy and let him have the the senior season that he wants to have before he gets drafted, um, and, and let these other two tackles really battle it out. And I think that you would have a really good situation going into the following year with with Paris Johnson and um, Nick Petit if Petit doesn't go pro, um, coming back for twenty twenty one season too. Is it on the table for? A Michael Jordan kind of situation where like one week into spring practice, there's like, oh yeah, that true freshman over there, he's a starter now. But what position would it be? Right tackle. No. Do you? No. Only because there they wasn't, don't, it's not they the don't necessi- have to do it. It they wasn't the necessity that the Michael Jordan situation yeah. was in. If Thayer Munford was healthy and practicing, I think maybe it would be more on the table. But because he's out, it gives you some leeway to not like make that definitive kind of statement. But I do think... If I had to pick right now, I would pick Nick Petit to win the starting right tackle job. But, you know, Paris Johnson's good enough to win it from everything we've seen and heard it's about. It's just him. a matter of whether or not Paris Johnson can play tackle. I mean, play guard. I don't know if he can play guard or not. He's but pretty athletic. I would you rather Would you rather your star, five-star offensive tackle that you just signed sit the bench for a year? Or would you rather him play out of position for a year if he's athletic enough to do it? Well, if you do that, then you're putting your five-star center on the bench in Harry Miller. So you're doing yeah. it either way, I guess. I mean, you get the best five. You, whatever, in whatever form that takes, you get yeah. the best five. But like, clearly Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers are going to start, and Thayer Munford is going to start as long as he's Yeah, because Josh Myers coming back like really kind of locked up the, the path to the field for young guys. Yeah, Josh Harry Myers, Miller could be the starting Harry center. Harry Miller would be the starting center, and then you could put him at guard. There's nowhere to put him. Right. So... Like, no matter what, and you were the one with this idea, but, like, no matter what, Ohio State's going to have four or five-star prospects starting, aren't they, or three? Myers um, ended up, like, at the end not being Yeah, one, Myers, depending one. on what what uh, time period of his recruitment, yeah. but you have Wyatt Davis was, right? Wyatt Davis was. Um, uh, Petit Freire was, and Harry Miller, so three and a half. Yeah, three and, and a half. And then you have one five-star on the bench. Go stud. Yeah, good I noticed stud. that once I got back from Houston – and wrote that story about stud, like three other ones popped up on other websites. And I just want you to know if you wrote a stud story after I wrote that, I'm watching you. <laughs> it's not even it's not even sneaky. It's embarrassing. Stop. Wow. A lot of heat. I already wrote a story about Greg Stu Drawa's recruiting kind of uptick here. They've got a lot of really good offensive linemen. The depth on the interior, I think, is really good. The depth of tackle is not quite as good, but still decent, better than it has been the last few years. 
I think it'll be a fun group to watch in the spring because there's some interesting guys in the background there too that we don't quite know what's going to happen with them. Matt Jones, Enoch Vimahi. Say Enoch again. I like his name. Enoch. Enoch. They call him Enoke on the on the on the island where he's from in Hawaii. We should go to do a, a story on him for five days. I am reporting it from Hawaii. I have various interviews done for a story I want to write about him. It's been I've, on his whiteboard here for I about six months. So I'd love to go. Uh, I'd love to go to Hawaii. I'm going. I'm doing a story on Dewan Jones. I'm actually going to go to Indianapolis and talk to some people about Dewan Jones uh, later this week. Interesting. On my way to uh, Iowa to come. I see a few uh, a few stories up there that weren't there before. I want to talk to you about when this is over with. We'll talk about it off the air. Yeah, uh, there's one up there that's super interesting. Third, third from the bottom. Oh yeah, that's an interesting thing that I noticed. We can talk about. Is that, that about? Um, okay, we'll talk about that later. It was spurned by a basketball thing, but it wasn't spurned by documentaries on Netflix. Documentaries on Netflix. No. Okay, I don't think so. Let's talk more cryptically about a thing that nobody. I just want people to realize that there's <laughs> a reason to sign up for the athletic. The board Cryptic. If we talk cryptically about interesting things that are coming, just let you know that you're getting your money's worth. Yeah. And yeah, I don't yeah. think this will be a good time now to invite people to sign subscribe, right, Bill? Theathletic.com slash four dash six still gets you 40% off. Uh, running back in the spring, I think it'll be a little weird because Marcus Crowley had a big old contraption on his arm when the team was at the basketball game a couple weeks ago. I just It doesn't look like somebody is going to be participating. And when Mickey Marathi was asked about that, he sort of didn't give an answer because he knows he's not allowed to. Um. I would anticipate him not being very much part of the equation at all, which I guess is good for Master Teague and it's good for Steel Chambers and Demario McCall and whoever else might find themselves taking carries in the backfield, but I don't think we'll have a complete picture of where a running back is um, coming out of spring because I don't believe everyone's healthy. And receiver, I guess, is mostly about the young guys. Chris Olavi's changing his number, number two. Seven Banks is now number Why seven. Why don't you do any posts on that? Taraja Mitchell's on number three. <laughs> um Chris Olave tweeted like so long number seventeen and like people were in his mentions like are you leaving like no like he's changing his number, his number. it seems seemed pretty apparent that's what if he was talking about he was about. leaving so long number seventeen would be a weird way of posing yeah, he would have said so long Columbus yeah um, he's number two now he's like a made man I don't know if like I don't know how much we'll learn about him Garrett Wilson I think has some growth to make but the the was there four young guys I think like the H back position how they plan on using the H back who yeah. steps up into this role um, Ryan Day expressed a willingness to play people out of position. If it meant getting the best receivers on the field, so seeing like what order they're in and where they line up in terms of their configuration on the field will be interesting. And then I just want to see – I mean, the fact they have so much – the number one thing, and I guess on both sides of the ball, is they have 14 early enrollees, which like is a story. Like I don't, I, I don't yeah. know if there's been another program that's done that. Maybe. I can't – that might be something interesting Maybe to look Alabama, up. I have to look it up or ask. 14, uh, like, and they're all really good players. Or... So um, – yeah, I mean the idea of watching uh, Julian Fleming play is 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 really enticing to me, and I want to see. God, the receivers are so Mookie good. Oh, Cooper can I t- say something? Hasn't I don't played football in like a year and a half. Putting Brian Hartline on blast right now, but whatever. He, I woke up yesterday morning to a text from Brian Hartline, and all it was was a screenshot of a tweet that I sent, um, before last season, and the tweet said, "My prediction: Wilson will be the second leading receiver on this team behind KJ Hill." And what he wrote was, ended up being fourth in yards and fourth in receptions. And I went, I guess that was a bad prediction. He goes, I mean, the goal is to be right, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, why is Brian Hartline like talking shit to me like on a random? But he's like, that's a guy who like really is passionate though. Yeah. And like he pays attention to what we think. And he is, you know, somebody who's kind of engaged in what we're saying. So it's a very interesting 
dynamic um, in terms of how he's going to put this room together because, you know, the guy is a made man, to borrow your words, based on what he did in the recruiting trail. Now I'm very fascinated, and I said this to him, to see how he puts together this room because it's crazy. There's so much talent there. I don't even know. Somebody even asked, is there such thing as too many good receivers in the same room? Like, that's the questions he's getting. Do you, have any too, do you have too many good players? But it's like... The answer to that question is always no. If it were, I know that there's some theories going around about, like, would you rather have a roster of 85 players where you have 25 five-stars, 34 stars, and a bunch of three-stars rounded out? I want 85 five-stars. Yeah, we'll figure it out. And we'll yeah. figure it out from there. <laughs> when we did the offensive depth chart discussion a couple weeks ago, I think I might have said, and I also may have written... Uh, or no, I guess you wrote the offense. I wrote the defense. I think I might have said in the podcast that like the H back position as it came to be defined under Urban Meyer was dead. But with some of the ways Ryan Day was talking about guys like Mookie Cooper and Jalen Gill, uh, I want to pull back on that a little bit because there was some uh, you know pop pass jet sweep talk happening and some possible discussion about guys like that moving into the backfield and taking some carries. Like we'll see how that takes form, but. I think that's one of the more interesting things to watch, like you mentioned, in spring ball. Is like, what is it just a pure slot receiver position like it was with KJ Hill last year? Is there a little more hybrid to it like there was with Curtis Sam a couple of years ago and even Paris Campbell to a certain extent? Um, I don't know. But it'll be fun to watch if, they, lot, if yeah. they let us watch practice. So we might get one practice, right? Last year, I can't remember last year, we get longer viewing windows. We get like hour-long viewing windows as opposed to camp where we get like 20 minutes of stretching. So we get to watch a little more practice in the spring. I don't anticipate that every practice will be open because why would they do that? Um, but I think we'll get to see a little bit more. To show up Jeff year. Halfley? Yeah, Jeff Halfley out here. Uh, just really, I, I think I might have made the joke to you. Like, does Jeff Halfley know that he already got the job? He doesn't need to keep kissing the media's ass? And like, it's fine. Like, we appreciate it. Um, but... He opened up practices or open, have an open locker room after every home game next year, and like the love that poured in for Jeff Havley was unbearable. I would love to cover an open locker room. It's an interesting discussion because there were some people, <clears throat> I'm sure there are a lot of Ohio State fans who think that we shouldn't have open locker room. And I think there's some merit to that only because the Ohio State beat is so large and it's outsized compared to a lot of other beats in what the country. What if it was one per publication? That's what I always tease when I'm talking to, like, when I talk to Jerry Emig in the fall about going to watch camp in, in August. It's like, what if we just had one person from each publication watch camp and then, like, they could be, or, like, it's like a pool reporter situation where, like, four or five people get to go on a given day and then report what they see. And that would suck, but it'd be better than what we have right now. Um, but what's, what's the downside to it, that they're not paid and they shouldn't be put in a situation where they have to? Yeah, like I think in the NFL, I think in the NFL, there's some contractual obligation, I think, there to is. appear before the media. And obviously you can't. So wait all year and then put the microphones in Chris Olave's face after he runs the wrong route in the Fiesta Bowl? Well, that's the thing that's weird about it. It's like, yeah, there was open locker the room possible after possible example of that? There's open locker room for the winning team after the Big Ten Championship. I kind of like that idea. I guess, like, you could argue that it doesn't teach great life lessons. It's like the locker room's open after a win, but it's closed after a loss. I would be fine taking that compromise. Um, it'll never happen at Ohio State, but Jeff Halfley's doing it at Boston College. I just think that there would be more interesting and diverse stories for the fans. And Ohio State football exists for the fans. So, like, I understand that we're talking about a fairy tale right now and it's never going to happen at Ohio State. But if they open up the locker room after every single game and Ohio State beats 
North Mex- uh, North New Hampshire University Southern Tech, eighty-eight to nothing. Then opening up the locker room might like give people like us opportunity to go talk to Harry Miller or Paris Johnson or write features about guys that we don't get to talk to, um, about like what they saw out there, what the experience is like, how they're coming along, and like that's the stuff that people read the most. Whenever there's an open locker room after um, a bowl game, you and I sit up in the press box and do a draft of who we get to talk to because it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's so interesting and fans love it, then why are we depriving them of it? Like what's the that what's the positive to it? Not making unpaid athletes have to speak to us more, even yeah. if it's a twenty minute window. How was that? Part of it. I think that's part of it, and I see some merit in that. You know, a lot of some of these kids are teenagers. Some of the, like they're at their after a loss, they can be at their lowest point. Like they're not paid. Maybe they shouldn't have a camera shoved in their face. But the other part of it too is you're right. I think it would lead to inter- more interesting stories. I don't more know diverse stories. More diverse stories for sure. But the other thing about it is is and this is how I view it. I think the traditional press conference setup and really a lot of the ways we do things with Ohio State and it's not I'm not being critical of Ohio State because it's done this way most places it, it creates an adversarial relationship only because if you're talking with somebody in the locker room you can actually have a real conversation with them and you have opportunities Ohio State to pull guys off of the side every now and then and have have similar conversations and Jerry's usually pretty good about letting his guys one-on-one from time to time but the most frequent interaction between media and athletes is traditional call and response sort of press conference setting. And you have to be very pointed with your questions and almost aggressive sometimes because you're only going to get one or two. And there might be a piece of information that you want that no one else is going to ask about. Then you have to ask about it in a very pointed and direct way that can come off poorly, I think, to athletes sometimes. Whereas the the flip side of that is if you're in a locker room, you can have a conversation with somebody and build up to something and like have an actual give and take with a person and like talk like normal humans. So... That's my viewpoint on it. But. And every single publication has the same collection of quotes, which, you know, you get some insight at some places that you might not at others and vice versa. And I like to think that in this operation, we do a pretty good job of going out and getting our own stuff, as should be the case for everybody. But just the idea of everybody working with the same pool of information isn't always entertaining for the fans. Yeah, you just get hit with a lot of the same. Like, look at every single story that comes out on all these websites from the availability. They're all the same. It's just different publications. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway, subscribe to The Athletic. Yeah. Theathletic.com slash 4-6. Still, 20 minutes after I said it the last time, get you 40% off. We're going to wrap up there. You good with that? Anything else you want to add? Have a good day. Have a great day. We'll be back next week. We'll talk uh, about Ohio State's defense heading into spring ball, and then we are less than... Or we're two. It starts the first week. We don't know which day yet. It'll probably be Monday or Tuesday. So we're about two weeks away from the start of spring practice for Ohio State. And then the 2020 season will be here before you know it. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.